You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. I'd be listening to the mainstream media and just be left frustrated on how they covered these stories. They would completely ignore facts just to promote their own agenda. I said, man, I could do a better job than these fools. I should start my own show. So I did. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Freedom Strips. I'm sorry this one's late getting to you. It's been a... uh been about a week and a half since I've had an episode, and uh, I wish I could make good excuses, but I can't really. Um, I had a birthday. I kind of took the week off um, for my birthday, and then I was just kind of uh, a little bit behind schedule on the next couple days, so I apologize for this getting out a little bit later, but hey, we are back. We got a brand new episode, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about, so I am going to dive right on in um, because Joe Biden is in the news again. And I expect that this will not be the last time we're going to talk about Joe Biden. Um, but as you know, he just recently declared his, uh, his run for president, and he is the front runner if you trust the polling data, which we all know we should uh, take that with a grain of salt. However, he does seem to be the front runner. Um, I- I've heard a lot of presidential campaign promises in my short time here on uh, planet earth, but none quite like what Biden just recently promised. Um, yeah, I tell you what, instead of, you know, me telling you, why don't you just listen to uh, what Joe Biden said? You know, uh, a lot of you understand that, uh, what loss is and when loss occurs, you know, uh, that, you know, people come up to you and tell you, I understand if you lose a, a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, a family member, and uh, um, and lots of times you feel like saying, you know, they say, I know how you feel, and if they hadn't, you look at them, you, you know they mean well, but you say, you have no idea how I feel. But when it happens to you, you know. That's why I've uh, worked so hard in my career to make sure that uh, I promise you, uh, if I'm elected president, you're going to see the single most important thing that changes in America is we're going to cure cancer. Uh, you think I'm... But that's another issue. <laughs> but that's another issue. Joe, that's cancer. I, you're promising to cure cancer. He's just kind of like throwing that off as like, I promise you we'll cure cancer. But that's another issue. No, we can focus on that later. No, 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 Joe. If you know how to cure cancer... But- by all means, let's hear it, buddy. But, uh, oh my gosh, what a crazy campaign promise. So, of course, that got in the news um, as he was campaigning in Iowa. I mean, all right. I mean, you got... It's only... This is the thing. is is like these candidates on, on the Democratic side, they're just trying to one-up each other. You know, they're, they're fighting for, well, I'm for a $15 minimum wage. Yeah, well, I'm for a $16 minimum wage. You suck. Yeah, well, I'm for a $17 minimum wage and free college. Top that. Oh, yeah? Free college, $17 an hour minimum wage, and free health care. How about that? And Joe Biden's like, hold my beer. I'm going to cure cancer if you vote me in. <laughs> Um, 
So yeah, I, of course we had to, uh, if you hadn't heard about that, I thought that you should uh, definitely see that because that's pretty great. Um, also, Joe Biden uh, doubled down, as you may remember, a couple episodes ago, he went on The View and said that the most um, the, the thing he was most proud of during his uh, Obama administration years was that there wasn't a hint of a lie or a scandal. And I was like, wow. And we kind of broke it down. We listed all the different things. I mean, Obama administration scandals, just Benghazi, Fast and Furious, the IRS targeting uh, specific uh, political opponents, um, the the Solyndra, um, which which is the uh, the solar company that that got this enormous like millions of dollars from the federal government and then just went bankrupt. Um, the NSA surveillance, like the spying on the Trump, all of this. Um, more and more and more. So obviously this this is just an outright lie. People buy it, though, because they love Obama so much um, that, of course, Obama can't do anything bad. Um, but he doubled down on it again on the campaign trail. He said it again. Don't take my word for it. Now I was most proud of for eight years. There wasn't one single hint of a scandal or a lie. There wasn't one single hint of a scandal or a lie. Not a single lie. You like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. That wasn't a lie. No, 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 no. Um, There was a pretty savage response on Twitter to this. Um, Let me pull this up here. There was uh, (laughs) this guy named Remy. He said, imagine bombing weddings and funerals while deporting millions of human beings, then saying your administration didn't have any scandals. (laughs) Of course, he's talking about the unprecedented drone strikes that Obama held. He was like the the drone drone bomb king of the world um, while he was president. He killed thousands of people, and most notably here in this tweet, obviously he's referencing to, yes, they did bomb weddings. Yes, they did bomb funerals in the Middle East to get uh, to kill targets. And, you know, innocent civilians be damned. Uh, they need to get their guy. And so, if, so what if they kill a couple children next to him? Um, so that happened during the Obama administration. Then he got a Nobel peace prize for bombing the hell out of countries and innocent people. So yeah, that's great. Um, not a single hint of a lie or a scandal. So there's your, uh, your Joe Biden moment for the show. Um, the presidential debate, uh, is coming up. I saw like a graphic for the, uh, the democratic presidential debate or the, uh, the, the primary and wow, they could barely, I, I could barely see all the candidates on, on one graphic. There was like, I think there's over 20, um, a bunch I know and a few I, I didn't even realize were in the race to be completely honest. And I stay up to date on this, um, way more than most people. So if even I don't know some of those names, a hundred percent, most people are not going to know who these people are. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see how they handle that many candidates all at once. I think, I think they're going to break it into a couple different days, but honestly, they're breaking it up into two groups. I believe I read. Um, but the first group is like all of the candidates that are pretty, that are polling pretty high already. And the rest are just the ones that are pulling at 1%, 2% maybe. Um, 
So pretty much everyone's just going to watch the one debate. No one's really going to watch the second. Unfortunately, I saw Tulsi Gabbard get into the second group uh, with all the all the other candidates that are pretty, you know, no one knows their names and no one really is interested in them. And that was kind of sad. I kind of wanted her to be on the stage with to call out a Joe Biden and, and to call out some of these other larger candidates, Elizabeth Warren, for some of their policies. And uh, unfortunately, it doesn't look like we're going to get that. But uh, moving on to um, really the the main story of the show that I wanted to talk about, um, and you may have heard about this. It is, of course, the um, the oil tankers that were attacked in the Gulf of Oman. Um, so two oil tankers were damaged in a suspected attack off the Gulf of Oman early Thursday, prompting the rescue of dozens of crew members. The U.S. Navy's um, Fifth Fleet said that it was assisting two tankers in the Gulf of Oman after receiving two distress calls. Details of the incident were unclear, but one of the operators made an unconfirmed report that a torpedo had hit the ship. Dramatic images and the videos of the ship were subsequently released by the Iranian state media. Um, International Tanker Management, which operates the MT Front, um, said that an explosion had caused a fire on board. The firm told the Associated Press that the incident is still being invest- investigated and it was unclear what caused the explosion um, as its 23 crew members were evacuated by nearby South Korean-based Hyundai Dubai vessel. They are now safe, the firm said. The other vessel, a Japanese-owned Kowaka Courageous, reportedly carrying methanol, sustained damage on its whole starboard side. 21 sailors were evacuated and one was slightly injured. Um, The U.S. Naval Forces uh, Central Command received calls from the Kowaka Courageous who were operating in international waters on the Gulf of Oman. Um, One of the vessels involved was identified as the MT Front Altair, a Marshall Islands flagged but Norwegian-owned crude oil tanker carrying naphtha, a petrochemical product, to Japan. Um, so, essentially, this can kind of get confusing about the details. These two oil tankers were going through the Strait uh, or the Gulf of Oman and uh, were attacked by something. Now, the, the official reports are saying that uh, mines were used during this attack, and so that's what caused the damage on the hull. Um, however, those reports are being refuted some by the Japanese um, owners of the oil tanker that was actually hit. Um, but we'll get into that just a little bit later. Now, immediately um, after this attack, Secretary Pompeo um, went to blaming Iran, um, for this attack. Um, so let me get to secretary Pompeo. He said, this is a tweet from secretary Pompeo. He said, it is the assessment of the U S government that Iran is responsible for today's attack in the Gulf of Oman. These attacks are a threat to international peace and security, a blatant assault on the freedom of navigation and unacceptable escalation of tension by Iran. So, yeah, unacceptable escalation. Um, I saw a pretty hilarious meme the other day where 
they were saying, um, if Iran doesn't want war, why did it put its countries in the middle of all of our bases? And it was, it was a photo of the, uh, the country of Iran and all of the U S bases that are on the border of Iran, close to like 15 U S bases on the border. So, uh, Mike Pompeo and the, uh, the mustache wielding John Bolton are all pointing fingers at Iran for this. Um, let's go and listen to Secretary Pompeo now. Of the United States government, that the Islamic Republic of Iran is responsible for the attacks that occurred in the Gulf of Oman today. This assessment is based on intelligence, the weapons used, the level of expertise needed to execute the operation, recent similar And the fact that no proxy group operating in the area has the resources and proficiency to act with such a high degree of sophistication. This is only the latest in a series of attacks instigated by the Islamic Republic of Iran and its surrogates against American and allied interests. And they should be understood in the context. See, notice how he doesn't say an attack on America. He says it, and this is this this is the thing that they keep they keep bringing back up, and this is some of the keywords you need to listen to because this isn't an attack on on U.S. on the U.S. This is not an attack on the U.S. None of these ships that were attacked were U.S. owned. I've seen several um, several sites that source um, the story as these oil tankers were somehow associated with the United States. They are not. They one of them was Norwegian owned, the other was Japanese owned. And to get this whole context in, into play here, this was happening at the same time as the Japanese prime minister, prime minister um, is in Iran having peace talks as a uh, mediary between the United States and Iran. Uh, apparently, peace talks are going well. Uh, Iran released a, uh, a American um, hostage being held uh, because of the espionage charges. So they released a, an American prisoner. Things seem to be going well. And then all of a sudden, Iran apparently attacks two oil tankers, one of which is a Japanese oil tanker, while the Japanese prime minister is in Iran. Uh, none of this is making sense. But to, to get back into this video again, he says this is an attack on U.S. interests. This is how they make up these excuses to keep going into these different wars saying that it's it's an attack on U.S. interests. This is not an attack on the United States. So 40 years of unprovoked aggression against freedom-loving nations. Unprovoked aggression. So, again, I think I'm going to do a whole episode, and um, I've already started to gather notes on this, about the Middle East. About the Middle East. And it will put to bed these allegations that some of this stuff is just completely unprovoked. They're doing it just because they hate America and they hate people and they hate freedom and they just want to kill us because we're us. No, none of this is unprovoked. It's a lot deeper than that. And you got to go back to the fifties and eighties and seventies to understand what exactly is going on in the middle East. It's a very complicated subject. I think I'm going to do an episode about it, but uh, it's going to take me a while to gather notes and to put and to piece that together. But I think that would be very valuable. But no, none of this is unprovoked. I mean, heavy, extremely heavy sanctions have been put on Iran um, for this. They they very well may have done this. There, I haven't seen any evidence that Iran actually committed this act. But 
to say it would be completely unprovoked, that's BS. I mean, they, they are essentially being handcuffed and held down with these extremely heavy sanctions on their oil supply. Um, which as we all know, sanctions are in fact an act of war. So no, none of this is unprovoked. On April 22nd, Iran promised the world that it would interrupt the flow of oil through the Strait of Hormuz. It is now working to execute on that promise. In early May, the Revolutionary Guard Corps attempted the covert deployment of modified DAOs capable of launching missiles. On May 12th, Iran attacked four commercial ships near the Strait of Hormuz. On May 14th, Iran-backed surrogates attacked by armed drones struck two strategically important oil pipelines in the Saudi Arabia. On May 19th, a rocket landed near the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. So they attack Saudi oil pipelines because, yes, American interests. So an attack on Saudi pipelines is an attack on us Americans. I mean, get out with that BS. This is completely ridiculous. And so, of course, he's talking about the the attack that happened a couple months ago on on uh, on Saudi Arabia with their oil pipelines and some of their other ships. Um, but everyone is calling for some kind of evidence to be provided for these claims that Iran was responsible for this attack. So what did the government do? So Mike Pompeo and the government, they released this blurry video of an Iranian ship supposedly removing an unexploded mine from the hull of the Japanese tanker. And once you watch the video, you realize that this blurry video shows really nothing. I mean, you can hardly see anything. And this nothing is their evidence. It just looks like the Iranian ship is coming to their aid and checking out the damaged hull. And the Iranian ship's... Um, they did. They did end up assisting the Japanese crew after they got uh, word of the distress call. So it looks like they're just kind of pulling up to the ship. But I mean, the military is saying that they are removing an unexploded mine from the hole. I mean, whatever, dude. Listen to the CNN bit on the uh, on the video here. We have this new video from the Pentagon to show you. The U.S. says that this shows. Iranian forces removing an unexploded mine from a tanker in the Gulf of Oman. Defense officials believe Iranians were trying to get rid of evidence here. Now, this incident comes at a time of escalating tensions between the U.S. and Iran. Adding support for the U.S. claims, the United Kingdom now says it has no doubts over the validity of this video. I want to go first to CNN's Michelle Kaczynski with this new video released which the Pentagon seems to suggest the Iranians were behind the attack on these tankers. Yeah, we're also seeing a much different tack now from the last time this happened, only weeks ago when other ships... <laughs> Just, I wanted to say this real quick. The uh, top comment on this CNN video is, was this off the Gulf of Tonkin asking for a friend? <laughs> we'll talk about a little, bit, a little bit about the Gulf of Tonkin incident um, a little bit later on in the show, but that was pretty great attacked in the Persian Gulf. The administration was very reluctant to even say that Iran was suspected. It was more than a week later and the Secretary of State was saying maybe Iran was behind it. Now, though, we see them get out there immediately, publicly, definitively saying this was Iran and here's some evidence. 
This dramatic new video released overnight shows a small boat approaching the Kokuka Courageous tanker. You can see an individual removing an object from the tanker's hull. U.S. military officials say that object is likely an unexploded mine yeah. removed by Iranians just hours <sighs> after the initial explosion. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo accusing Iran of carrying out the attacks, using the video as his evidence. Iran is lashing out because the regime wants our successful maximum pressure campaign lifted. U.S. defense officials believe Iran recovered the device to remove any evidence of their involvement in the attack. The military also releasing this photo of the ship's hull that they say shows the damage from one explosion and the likely unexploded mine. The Japanese-owned ship was one of two tankers. Now, I'm no military expert, but if you go and you look at the photo, the damage to the hull is a good five, six feet above the water. Um, I'm pretty sure mines lay close to six feet underwater. Um, and it's supposed to damage the hole under the water so that the ship sinks. Pretty sure that mines don't blow up and damage holes above the water because that would be absolutely useless. So the mine thing doesn't make sense to me. In the Gulf of Oman Thursday, as Japan's Prime Minister Shinzo Abe visited Iran in an attempt to calm tensions between Tehran and Washington. Iran has denied involvement. Iranian Foreign Minister Javad Zarif saying in a tweet, quote, suspicious doesn't even begin to describe what likely transpired this morning. The yeah, Secretary you think? of State firing back. Foreign Minister Zarif may think this is funny, but no one else in the world does. The Japanese are coordinating... United States and investigating the attack on its tanker. You, uh, no one thinks this is funny, Mike Pompeo. Literally, no one thinks this is funny. Especially Iran. What does Iran have to to gain out of all of this? I mean, there are, there are so many reasons to be skeptical of this whole story, especially the story coming from Pompeo and Bolton. Um. Like I said, what does Iran get out of this? Why would Iran, while it's holding talks with the Japanese prime minister, for the, by the way, for the first time, they're holding talks with the Japanese prime minister since 1979 when the Iranian revolution happened. Why during this time, during these talks, would they attack a Japanese oil tanker? It just doesn't make any sense. What's the benefit for Iran to do this? I mean, man, this is eerily similar to when President Trump was talking about removing and pulling, removing troops and pulling out of Syria. And Assad, who is winning the civil war there, commits the only act that could even like remotely bring American troops back into this conflict with a chemical attack against his own people. Against the other side. Why would Assad use chemical weapons against an opponent which he's already beating and after the U.S. has said that they were pulling out of Syria? The only thing that that would accomplish is to bring the U.S. back into the war, which now we actually know, which I didn't plan to talk about this, but a report came out that um, 
that chemical attack that was linked to Assad and and pr- provoked the uh, President Trump to launch all those missiles against the um, Syrian air bases and all of that thing and, and condemning Assad for using chemical weapons. Yeah, all of that was staged. Every single one of that was staged. Information was withheld from original reports. All of this has come out. The chemical bomb was not dropped from a helicopter in Syria. It was placed there. It was carried there by the rebels, U.S.-backed rebels, rebels, I'm sure, um, as a false flag attack to get the U.S. back into Syria. So this is looking eerily similar here. What does Iran get out of this? Why would they do this? Who wants war more? The United States against Iran or Iran against the United States? How quickly do you think that war would last for Iran? I think Iran would last a long time. But do you think that the Iran, like, is it in their best interest to go to a war with America? Do you honestly think that they don't understand if they go to the war with America, they are getting wiped off the map? Theoretically, I I suppose Iran could orchestrate something like this to send a message that they're not going to put up with the extremely heavy U.S. sanctions um, put on them uh, and its oil supply. The U.S. essentially has um, has barred anyone from buying uh, Iranian oil with their sanctions. Um, But I mean, those sanctions don't they don't only hurt Iran. I mean, they, they hurt Japan. Japan wants to buy oil from Iran. And they hurt many other European countries that could benefit from buying oil from Iran. Everyone loves lower gas prices and everyone loves making money. It's in the best interest of both parties for this to be solved quickly and painlessly. And this isn't quickly and painlessly here. This is just escalating conflict. And who wants conflict more than Mike Pompeo and John Bolton? This story just absolutely stinks. It would be extremely foolish to look at this story and accept it on at face value. Um, the Ron Paul Institute, I, I was doing some research on this, and they came up with uh, <laughs> this this pretty great article. It says, seven reasons to be highly skeptical of the Gulf of Oman incident, which I love how they're calling it the Gulf of Oman incident as a uh, homage to the Gulf of Tonkin incident. So I'm going to read... Uh, read this article as quickly as I can because let me see where I am Uh, we're about 25 minutes in that's not too bad okay it starts in a move that surprised exactly zero people Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has wasted no time scrambling to blame Iran for damage done to two sea vessels in the Gulf of Oman Thursday citing exactly zero evidence Quote, this assessment is based on intelligence, the weapons used, the level of expertise needed to execute the operation, recent similar Iranian attacks on shipping, and the fact that no proxy group operating in the area has resources and proficiency to act with such a high degree of sophistication, Pompeo told the press in a statement. The United States will defend its forces, interests, there's that word again, interests, and stand with our partners and allies to safeguard global commerce and regional stability. And we call upon all nations threatened by Iran's provocative acts to join us in that endeavor. 
Here are exactly seven reasons to be extremely skeptical of everything Pompeo said. Number one, Pompeo is a known liar, especially when it comes to Iran. Pompeo has a well-established history of circulating blatant lies about Iran and the behavior of the Iranian government. And he recently told an audience at Texas A&M University that when he was leading the CIA, quote, we lied, we cheated, we stole. We had entire training courses about this. Number two, the U.S. empire is known to use lies and false flags to start wars. Yes, we all know that. So the U.S. centralized power alliance has an extensive and well-documented history of advancing pre-existing military agendas using lies, false flags, and psyops to make targeted governments appear to be the aggressors. This is such a well-established pattern that the Gulf of Tonkin briefly trended on Twitter after the Gulf of Amman incident. Um which is very funny. Um, when this story broke, one of the first things trending on Twitter besides the Gulf of Oman was Gulf of Tonkin. Cause everyone was relating this to the Gulf of Tonkin. Any number of government agencies could have been involved from any number of nations in this alliance, including the U S the UK, the KSA and the UAE or Israel. Number three, John Bolton has openly endorsed lying to advance military agendas. The author wrote, I wrote an article about this last month because Trump, the Trump administration had already begun uh, rapidly escalating against Iran in ways that happened to align perfectly with the longtime agendas of the Trump psychopathic Iranian war hawk national security advisor. At that time, people were so aware of the possibility that Bolton might involve himself in staging yet another Middle Eastern war based on lies that The Onion was already spoofing it. On a December 2010 episode of Fox News' Freedom Watch, Bolton and the show's host, Andrew Napolitano, were debating about recent WikiLeaks publications, and naturally, the subject of government secrecy came up. Quote, now I want to make a, the case for secrecy in government when it comes to the conduct of national security affairs and possibly for the deception where that's appropriate, Bolton said. Do you really believe that? Asked an incredulous Napolitano. Absolutely, Bolton replied. Now I'm going to play this video a little bit later on in the episode because I, I think it's very beneficial for you to actually hear this, but it is shocking. It is really shocking says this would be the same John Bolton who has paid exorbitant speaking fees by the pro-regime change MEK terror cult, promising the cult in a 2017 speech that they'd be celebrating regime change in Tehran together before 2019. This would also be the same John Bolton who once threatened to murder an OPCW official's children if he didn't get if he didn't stop getting in the way of his Iraq war agenda. Number four. Using false flags to start a war with Iran is already an established idea in the D.C. swamp. Back in 2012, at a forum for the Washington Institute of Near East Policy think tank, the group's director of research, Patrick Clausen, openly talked about the possibility of using false flag to provoke a war with Iran, citing the various ways that the U.S. has done exactly that with its previous wars. Quote, I frankly think that this crisis initiation is really tough. It's very hard for me to see how the United States president can get us to war with Iran, Clausen began. 
which leads me to conclude that if in fact compromise is not coming, that the traditional way that the uh, that America gets to war is what would be best for the American interest, Clausen added. Some people might think that Mr. Roosevelt wanted us to get into the war. You may recall that we had to wait for Pearl Harbor. Some people might think that Mr. Wilson wanted us to get into World War I. You may recall that we had to wait for the Louisiana episode. Some people might recall that Mr. Johnson wanted us to get into the Vietnam War. You may recall that we had to wait for the Gulf of Tonkin episode. We didn't go to war with Spain until the USS Maine exploded. And may I point out that Mr. Lincoln did not feel that he could call out the military army until Fort Sumter was attacked, which is why he ordered the commander at Fort Sumter to do exactly that thing, which the South Carolinians said would cause an attack. So if in fact the Iranians aren't going to compromise, it would be best if somebody else started the war. One can combine other means of pressure with sanctions. I mentioned that explosions I mentioned that explosion on August 17th. We could step up the pressure. I mean, look, people, Iranian submarines periodically go down. Someday one of them might not come up. Who would know why? We could do a variety of things if we wish to increase the pressure. I'm not advocating that, but I'm just suggesting that this is not an either-or proposition. Just sanctions have to succeed or other things. We are in the game of using covert means against the Iranians. We could get nastier at that. Yikes. Number five. The U.S. State Department has already been running psyops to manipulate the public Iranian narrative. The State Department officials admitted to Congress congressional staff at the closed-door meeting on um, Monday that a $1.5 million troll farm had gone too far beyond the scope of its mandate. By aggressively smearing American critics of the Trump administration's Iran policy as propagandists for the Iranian government, according to a new report from The Independent. That mandate had reportedly consisted of countering propaganda for Iran, from Iran, also known as conducting anti-Iran propaganda. Critics in Washington have gone further, saying that their program resembled the type of troll farms used by the autocratic regimes abroad, saying the Independent. One woman behind the harassment campaign, a longtime Iranian-American activist, has received hundreds of thousands of dollars from the State Department over the years to promote freedom of expression and free access to information, the report reads. Number six, the Gulf of Amman narrative makes no sense. One of the ships damaged in the attack was Japanese-owned, and the other was bound for Japan. This happened to be just as Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe was in Tehran attempting to negotiate a de-escalation between the United States and Iran with Trump's blessing. And just after Iran had re- released a prisoner accused of conducting espionage for the United States in what many took to be a good-faith gesture. Iran has been conducting itself with remarkable restraint in the face of relentless sanctions and provocations from the U.S. and its allies. It wouldn't make much sense for it to suddenly abandon that restraint with attacks on sea vessels, then rescue their crew, then deny perpetrating the attacks. 
during a time of diplomatic exchanges and while trying to preserve that nuclear deal with Europe. If Tehran did perpetrate the attacks in order to send a strong message to the Americans, it would have been a very mixed message sent in a very weird way. And lastly, number seven, even if Iran did perpetrate the attack, Pompeo would still be lying. Pompeo's statements uses the words unprovoked twice and Iran's provocative acts once, explicitly claiming that the U.S. empire was just minding its own business, leaving Iran alone when it was attacked out of the blue by a violent aggressor. Sometimes the things put out by the U.S. State Department feel like they're conducted uh, feel like they're conducting experiments on us just to test the limits of our stupidity. As noted in this article by Moon of Alabama and this discussion on the Ron Paul Liberty Report, the U.S. has been provoking Iran with extremely aggressive and steadily tightening sanctions, which means that even if Tehran is behind the attacks, it would not be the aggressor and the attacks would most certainly not have been unprovoked. Economic sanctions are an act of war. If China were to do this to America's economy, what America is going is do if China, excuse me. If China were to do to America's economy what America is doing to Iran's, the US would be in a hot war with China immediately. It would technically be possible for Iran it could technically be possible that Iran is pushing back on U.S. aggressions and provocations, albeit in a strange and neoconservatively convenient fashion. So there you have it. I thought that covered it pretty well, um, or at least covered, you know, the, the non-mainstream media side of it pretty well. Um, like I said, try not to look at this at face value. Try to see what's behind the curtains. Um. But it wasn't just the Ron Paul Liberty Report that I found um, making arguments from the other side. Even Bloomberg had an article here. It says, Iran has little to gain from the Oman tanker X, uh, attacks. It starts out like this. Two oil tankers have been damaged in a suspected attacks in the water between the United Arab, Arab Emirates and Iran. As they were leaving the Persian Gulf... <clears throat> excuse me, this second incident in four weeks. This is the second incident in four weeks and raises the question of who gains what from them. Fingers will certainly be pointed at Iran as the mastermind behind these events, but the potential benefits to the Persian Gulf nation are outweighed by the risks. And even if Tehran isn't responsible, it will suffer the consequences. The first tanker to report a problem was the Front Altar, it was reported to be carrying 75,000 tons of naphtha loaded in Abu Dhabi to Japan, although it was signaling a destination in Taiwan when it was damaged. The second vessel was a Japanese-owned Kouka Courageous, which was sailing from Saudi Arabia to Singapore with a cargo of methanol. A person who's heard local radio transmissions between the ships in the region told Bloomberg that a torpedo attack is suspected to have caused the explosion and fire on the front altar. The managers of the Kuaka Courageous said in a statement that the 21st crew of the vessel abandoned ship after the incident on board, which resulted in damage to the ship's hull on the starboard side. Who gains from these attacks? The obvious answer is Iran. 
If Tehran is attacking tankers leaving the Persian Gulf, either directly or through proxies, it sends a message that transit through the world's most important choke point for the global oil flows is not safe without its consent. If Iran is pushed to the brink of is pushed to the brink economically by sanctions, it will not go quietly. Other nations in the region will bear the cost of disruptions to their own oil exports, while America and its allies will have to cope with higher crude, higher crude prices and disruptions to its supplies. Not since 2005 had the world's insurers considered shipping in the Persian Gulf so dangerous for its oil tankers. Nevertheless, we are still far from the level of tension that existed during the so-called tanker war of the 1980s, when 451 vessels, 259 of them oil or refined petroleum product tankers, suffered some sort of attack in the region, according to a report from the U.S. Naval Institute. The incidents took place during the Iran-Iraq war, and the culprits were forces from both countries. Then the U.S. Navy resorted to escorting vessels through the Persian Gulf. That would be an expensive operation to repeat and would tie up a large part of the U.S. and allied fleets in the nation, or in the region, excuse me. It would also raise the cost of the U.S. drive against Iran, which began with President Trump's decision to pull out of the Iran nuclear deal in May 2018. Bent crude was up as much as 4.45% on Thursday, shortly after news of the attack broke. Although it had lost, it had since lost some of those gains. The nation's oil experts have seriously been curtailed by U.S. sanctions and higher prices, or its only route to increasing revenues. But the benefits are likely to be relatively small, given the dwindling volumes and steep discounts from that the country probably has to offer to shift its oil. There is another group that will benefit from this incident. The people who want to see the U.S. step up its campaign against Iran and to move from an economic war to a military one. There are plenty of those both in the U.S. and among its allies in the Persian Gulf and wider Middle East regions. The timing of the attacks also raise questions. They come as the Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe is visiting Tehran with the blessing of Trump. On Wednesday, Abe urged Tehran to avoid conflict at all cost, and pleaded to do his utmost to ease tensions. The tankers damaged on Thursday were carrying cargoes related to Japan. A day earlier, Iranian freed a U.S. resident imprisoned on espionage charges. This would seem very clumsy timing from a country seeing the first tangible signs of easing the, uh, the crippling sanctions imposed by the Americans. But it's absolutely understandable if you're someone whose ultimate goal is to derail any easing of tensions between the two nations and to affect regime change in Tehran. Whoever is behind the attacks is no friend to Iran. So there you have it. Um, take from that what you will. This whole thing just seems so fishy. It just doesn't make any sense. Um... I mean the whole the whole story coming from um, Pompeo about mines being used. Um, this is an article that just came out from CBS News. The title saying the tanker owner, the Japanese tanker owner, seems to dispute the U.S. account of the Gulf of Oman attack. The Japanese owner 
of the Kuaka Courageous, one of the two oil tankers targeted near the Strait of Hormuz, said Friday that sailors on board saw a, quote, flying object just before it was hit, suggesting the vessel wasn't damaged by mines. That account contradicts what the U.S. military said as it released uh, a video Friday as it said, it shows Iran's forces removing an unexploded mine from one of the two ships that were hit. The Japanese tanker was attacked twice Thursday, damaging the vessel and forcing all 21 crew members to evacuate. The company president, Yutaka Katada, <laughs> did that my best, um, said Friday that he believes that the flying objects seen by one of the sailors could have been bullets. Uh, no, probably not bullets. You can't really see bullets. <laughs> probably like a, a torpedo or a, a drone strike or something, maybe. But I mean, a flying object is not a bullet. You don't, you don't see a bullet. Um, anyway, he denied any possibility of mines or torpedoes because the damage was above the ship's waterline. That's what I said. It's above the waterline, so mines doesn't make sense. He called reports of a mine attack false. So that's all very interesting. Even the uh, owner of the tanker is contradicting what the U.S. military is saying. Um, one encouraging thing that I have seen while following this story is that most Americans seem to be getting wiser to the government's tricks and lies to start conflicts. Um, so, I mean, today, nearly everyone knows that we were lied into the Iraq war. Trump even ran on this during his presidential campaign. Um, I mean, he traveled to some of the most conservative red states in the nation and said that Bush lied us into the Iraq war. Not Bush misinformed us or Bush made an honest mistake in judgment. Trump said that he lied. And do you know what the bleeding heart red conservatives said after he said this? They said, you know what? He's right. We were lied to. There were no WMDs. The war wasn't paid for by oil. We weren't greeted as liber liber uh, liberators. In fact, the only thing that that war has accomplished was killing over 650,000 Iraqis. Yes, that's a number. 650,000 Iraqis dead and displaced over a million more, killing 4,500 U.S. soldiers. It created an environment that led to the birth of ISIS, and it handed Iran complete influence over the region. Americans are growing wise to the lies that have been used in years past, um, and I think the internet and social media have a lot to do with that. As I said before, Gulf of Tonkin was trending on Twitter when this story broke. That, of course, is referencing to the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which is now known to be a complete lie by the U.S. government about an attack by North Vietnamese torpedo boats on the U.S. naval destroyers Maddox and Turner Joy that directly led to the U.S. to greatly escalate its military involvement in the Vietnam War. And so if you haven't read about the Tom Gulf of Tonkin incident, I highly recommend that you do so that you can better understand how the government can easily manipulate reports and data is given to the public to gain support 
for their own efforts, for, quote, American interests, which are not your interests. It's theirs. <sighs> All of these regime change wars aren't just made up on the fly, by the way. These are planned, and these plans go as far back as 2003. Listen here to General Wesley Clark talk about this plan all the way back in 2007. Listen to this. To worry about Iraq, not Iran. I, I knew why, because I'd been through the Pentagon right after 9-11. About 10 days after 9-11, I went through the Pentagon and I saw Secretary Rumsfeld and and Deputy Secretary Wolfowitz, I went downstairs just to say hello to some of the people on the joint staff who had used, used to work for me. And one of the generals called me in. He said, sir, you got to come in. You got to come in and talk to me a second. I said, well, you're too busy. He said, no, no. He says, we've made the decision. We're going to war with Iraq. This was on or about the 20th of September. I said, we're going to war with Iraq. Why? He said, I don't know. <laughs> He said, I guess they don't know what else to do. So uh, I said, well, did they find some information collect connecting Saddam to al-Qaeda? He said, no, no. He says, there's nothing new that way. They just made the decision to go to war with Iraq. He said, I guess it's like we don't know what to do about terrorists, but we've got a good military and we can take down governments. And um, he said, I guess if, if the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem has to look like a nail. So I came back to see him a few weeks later, and by that time we were bombing in Afghanistan. I said, are we still going to war with Iraq? And he said, oh, it's worse than that. He said, he reached over on his desk, he picked up a piece of paper, and he said, I just, he said, I just got this down from upstairs, meaning the Secretary of Defense office today, and he said, this is a memo that describes how we're going to take out seven countries in five years, starting with Iraq and then Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and finishing off Iran. I said, is it classified? He said, yes, sir. I said, <laughs> I said, well, don't show it to me. And I saw him a year or so ago, and I said, you remember that? He said, sir, I didn't show you that memo. I didn't show it to you. That is directly from General Wesley Clark talking about the plan to go to war with seven countries in five years. Regime change. Now, as you may now realize, several of those countries listed in that plan have already been executed, but one remains as a thorn in its side, and that's obviously Iran. They want Iran so damn bad that they will do anything to take it down. They will spout every lie they can muster to get that war. Don't believe me? That's fine. Don't believe me. Believe Trump's national security advisor, John Bolton. I know I referenced this earlier in the episode, and I'm going to play the video now. But listen as he tells you how proud he is to lie to you and to send you and your children to needless war after needless war for the sake of furthering the American empire and, quote, American interests. 
documents being revealed. Now, I want to make the case for secrecy in government when it comes to the conduct of national security affairs and, and possibly for deception where that's appropriate. You know, Winston Churchill said during World War II that in wartime, truth is so important it should be surrounded by a bodyguard of lies. Do you really believe that? Absolutely. You, you would lie in order to preserve the truth. If, if I had to say something I knew was false to protect American national security, I would do it. I don't think we're often faced with that difficulty. But would I lie about where the D-Day invasion was going to take place to deceive the Germans? You better believe why, it. Why do people in the government think that the rules of society or the laws don't apply to them? Because they are not dealing in the civil society we live in under the Constitution. They are dealing in an anarchic environment internationally where different rules apply. But you took an oath to uphold the Constitution, and the Constitution mandates certain openness and certain fairness. You're willing to do away with that in order to achieve a, a, a temporary military goal? And I think as Justice Jackson uh, said in a famous decision, the Constitution's not a suicide pact. But you took an oath to it. That, that's exactly right. And I think defending the United States from foreign threats uh, does require actions that in a normal business environment in the United States we would find unprofessional. You know, I don't make any apology for it. I prefer. If that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about John Bolton, I don't know what video will. Man, that is Trump's national security advisor. Holy cow. Anyway, we're running out of time here. I got a couple different things that I want to talk about um, before we end here. Um, Trump, of course, is in the news. He, he got into hot water from the left uh, for saying that he would accept dirt on political opponents from a uh, foreign power. Um, so the left was not happy about this. I mean, some on the right weren't either. But, I, I mean, the way I see this is like, is, is it stuff that the public should know? Because if it's stuff the public should know, I don't care. I, it's, a, it's the same position I hold with WikiLeaks. Like, is it true? Because if it's true and it's, it, it's breaking, you know, shedding light on corruption and evil acts by an individual, I don't care. But he got into hot water from the left for saying that he would accept dirt on a political opponent um, from a foreign power. And I, as I was thinking about this, I was like, man, you know, if we only had an example of them being totally okay with this exact thing, hmm. if we only had an example of a foreign agent giving false, dirty information to a political candidate that was then given to the FISA court, that then turned into an FBI investigation, that then turned out to be an unsubstantiated hit job, all for the means of political gain. Man, that would certainly make things easier if I had an example like that. That's too bad I don't have an example like that. Man. Oh, well. One could only hope, right? But this is from The Hill here. Um, Trump has, uh, since he got into hot water, he now says that says Trump campaign says it will handle foreign Intel offers on a case by case basis. 
The top president, uh, the top spokesman for President Trump's 2020 reelection bid said that the campaign will handle offers of information on opponents from foreign entities on a case by case basis. Um, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I don't really care. Honestly, if it's true stuff, then by all means, like if it's if it's releasing dirt on people who are running for president that are corrupt and are doing evil stuff. I don't care. I don't care. By the way, every single person running for president right now, and I mean every single one of them, they got dirt. All right. They got dirt. They're probably doing some pretty bad stuff. Um, moving on to our last thing I wanted to talk about. And I thought this would be a pretty great one to end on. This comes from the Washington Examiner. The headline of this says, The Senate basically just voted to arm ISIS with your tax dollars. Wow, that sounds pretty... No way. They wouldn't do that, would they? Actually, they've been doing this for quite a while. Just so you know. Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky said on the Senate floor Thursday before a vote that would bar U.S. arms sales with three Arab states... Quote, the facts are not contested. Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and Bahrain have allowed U.S. arms to be funneled to radical Islamist groups throughout the Middle East. Paul is right. No one really contests this. President Trump, who supports the arms sale, agrees that the countries have supported extremists. If Hillary Clinton had been elected president, apparently she knew too. President Obama New as well. Clinton's tenure as Secretary of State made clear the U.S. was backing countries that aided our enemies. As Paul observed in his floor speech Thursday, quote, even Hillary Clinton admitted in an email to John Podesta, quote, we need to use our diplomatic and more traditional intelligence assets to bring pressure on the governments of Qatar and Saudi Arabia, which are providing clandestine financial and logistical support to ISIS and other radical groups in the region. This, holy cow. Paul also noted that in 2009, a decade ago, because yes, this is how long this has been going on, Hillary Clinton sent the State Department a cable that read, quote, Saudi Arabia remains a critical financial support base for Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Wow. Saudi Arabia. You mean that really strong ally that we have right now? They've been funding Al-Qaeda and the Taliban? You mean we're on the side of Al-Qaeda and the Taliban? Yes. The United States is funding and supporting Al-Qaeda and the Taliban Today, Al-Qaeda, the very group that attacked the U.S. on September 11th and who most Americans probably think that we are still trying to fight today. Also, the Taliban, the entire reason we went to war in Afghanistan in 2001, apparently U.S. foreign policy has indirectly bolstered both. Again, these are not secrets. These leaders knew. Congress knows. But that didn't stop them Thursday from voting 43 to 56 to proceed with these arms sales. 
The only Republicans who voted to stop this were Senator Paul, Mike Lee, and Jerry Morgan. Every other Republican voted to give arms and aid to countries that have histories of coddling terrorists. And I think it'd be beneficial to name the Democrats who voted to stop this as well. Every Democrat voted to stop arms sales, except... Now, these are the ones that sided with the Republicans to keep these arms sales going. The majority of the Democrats wanted to stop it. So good for them. Except for Doug Jones, Angus King, Joe Manchin, Jan Sheen, Kristen Sinema, John Tester, and Mark Warner. These seven Democrats apparently agree with the overwhelming majority of Republicans that allowing U.S. weapons to end up in the hands of ISIS and Al-Qaeda is worth whatever security benefit the United States allegedly gets from these exchanges. The senators who support this insist that it is to guard against Iranian influence in the region, which is a lazy rationale at best. Could you imagine making the argument of funding Al-Qaeda and ISIS for the sake of controlling Iran? That's what they're doing. They are, they are funding and arming Al-Qaeda, the people who attacked us on 9-11 and killed thousands of United States citizens. And they're arming and funding ISIS, who has pledged the destruction of America and all those who oppose an Islamic state. So who's really the bad guy? Who looks worse here? The United States on the side of Al-Qaeda and ISIS or Iran? Iran is no shining angel. They've done tons of bad things. I'm not arguing that Iran is like this pillar of justice and goodness but in this conflict who looks worse off man this is bad this is really bad hmm Maybe we should consider a peace plan that doesn't include dumping more arms into a region aflame in civil unrest, civil war, and anarchy, Paul said on the floor. The argument goes that we must arm anyone who is not Iran. We are told that because of Iran's threat, the U.S. must accept selling arms to anyone who opposes Iran, even bone-saw-wielding countries brazen enough to kill a dissident in a foreign consulate. That is, of course, he's referencing Saudi Arabia that murdered a journalist with a bone saw. They chopped him up with a bone saw. That's our ally. People who chop up people with bone saws to hide the body. That's our big ally in the Middle East. What would happen if we just said no, Paul asked. What would happen if we simply conditioned arms sales on behavior? That's a great question. In addition to arming ISIS in Saudi Arabia, murdering a U.S.-based journalist last year, the American-backed Saudi war in Yemen continues to yield a civilian death toll so high that we don't exactly know what the right number is. One April statistic put it at 70,000, mostly from starvation. Through our allies continue though our allies continue to kill hundreds of children with U.S. weapons. 
in August, a U.S. supply bomb killed 40 kids riding a school bus. Just one of those horrors would have been enough to at least question why we keep selling arms to these countries. The mere fact that these states have helped in the past and in no doubt contribute continue to embolden the groups that attacked the U.S. in 2001 and carry out other acts of terror around the world should be enough to stop it. But not in Washington. You can bet the majority of senators who voted for this deal today were more annoyed with Rand Paul asking all these questions than they were with terrorism, human rights abuses, and dead children. Only in Washington. Well, that concludes the episode for today. Thank you, everybody, for joining me for another episode. I plan on not waiting so long for the next one, so you can expect another one in a uh, in a week. But if you haven't already, please uh, like us and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, feel free to go to Facebook, like our page, um, and comment. Uh, I was looking over, before we end, I was looking over the statistics on the... Uh, the show and I did find that we had a couple of consistent listeners from um, Hong Kong and from Australia. So I mean, both of you guys, uh, we got two from Australia and one from Hong Kong. Feel free to reach out to us on Facebook. Uh, I'd love to speak with you and and, and to uh, kind of pick your brain a little bit and just thank you for listening to the show. I think that's really really cool that we got listeners from that far away um, here in the states. But yeah, feel free to message us on Facebook. Um, and for everybody else, if you have topics that you want me to cover, or if you want to come on the show, um, by all means, message me. I'd love to have more people onto the show, have just a great dialogue back and forth about different current events. I think it'd be a lot of fun. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Freedom Strips. <laughs>